This is called mountains. And, and you may be thinking, great, I love mountains. Anybody love mountains? Look outside, you better start, okay? Um, if you don't, you'll figure out really soon that this place has mountains. And what else does this place have? Potholes, okay? Um, we were talking about that yesterday. Um, literally, uh, there's, there's valleys that are deeper than the mountains here, potholes. And for two weeks, Aiden was on the, the missing persons list. Um, because, you know, his teacher was calling and stuff, and have you seen my, you know, have you seen Aiden? I miss him. And I said, I think he fell in a pothole. But um, it happens around here. Literally, I watched a van front tire get just swallowed, literally swallowed in a hole, and the lady's out taking pictures because it had completely bottomed out, okay? That's a really, really deep valley. But what we're going to talk about is mountains, okay? And uh, how many of you guys grew up in West Virginia, okay? Grew up in West Virginia. So you're kind of used to this stuff, right? Well, I grew up in Virginia, all right? I grew up in Culpeper, Virginia, a small town down there. Loved it. It was, it was wonderful growing up. And I remember, as mom uh, would remember as well, because we lived in the same house growing up. It kind of worked that way. And um, I remember uh, growing up and how I used to love, love, love just to walk out of the driveway and look to the right, and you would see the Blue Ridge Mountains. Has anybody ever seen the Blue Ridge Mountains? Okay, beautiful, right? They're not super big especially compared to here or anywhere else, all right? But I remember just, I used to love to look at the mountains. I've always loved the mountains, okay? And I never thought I'd end up living in them. But I used to love looking at the mountains. And sometimes, every so often, we'd take that, you know, it depends, 30 to, to 45-minute trip, and we'd make it to Skyline Drive, right? Every so often. I remember one time, especially before my dad passed, uh, we were hanging out and driving through there in the Suburban, I think is what it was that time. And uh, just beautiful sights along the way, Right? All the wildlife and beautiful flowers and trees and those of you that have allergies, all kinds of allergies. It was just wonderful. They thought I was crying, that I was so happy. No, it was just allergies, okay? But uh, I just love the mountains, and it's something that, uh, that I enjoy to see, and now I love to live in. Um, but did you know that the world is only com comprised of 6%? The world only has 6% of its landmass being mountains. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? I checked the statistic. I think it's right. Or if not, it sounded awesome, okay? 6% of its landmass, okay? Um, so it, it makes sense that we're most of the time living in lowlands, all right? Um, did you know that the summit of Mount Everest at 29,000 feet, right? 29,035 feet is the highest point on earth. But you may not know, and our friends from Hawaii would know this, that the summit of, um, let me make sure I get this right. This will be, be hard. Uh, the tallest mountain measured from top to bottom is Mauna Kea. Is that right? Kea. Kea. See, I've been in the mountains too long where I can't even pronounce things right. Okay. An active volcano on the island of Hawaii in the Pacific Ocean. Measured from the base, the mountain name is Mauna Kea. Is that right? Kea. It's not a Kea. You can't drive it. Kea stands 33,474 feet tall though it only rises 13,796 feet from above the sea. Isn't that crazy? The smallest registered mountain in the world is called, and I may botch this one too, Mount Waikiproof. And it's kind of like Wikiproof's cousin. Okay? Mount Waikiproof is a mountain located in the small, mountain, uh, small town of Waikiproof, uh, Victoria, Australia, standing at only 141 feet above the surrounding terrain. We call that a mulch pile here, right? Isn't that basically what that is? 
Okay, yeah, or that's, yeah, that's, when, that's what they use to fill the potholes, okay? Um, mountains, they come in all sizes and shapes. And the Bible, you know, follows um, along in Scripture, and you see a lot of mountain instances, don't you? And you may already be thinking of some. Some pop into your mind uh, that as you read throughout the Word or you've heard stories, these mountain names pop up in your mind, and you think about them and what happened there. So today we start this mountains conversation by taking a look at one of the most famous mountains that we find in Scripture, Mount Moriah, the mountain that changed Abraham's life for all time. So a little bit of context, a little bit of understanding. Mount Moriah is located in the old part of Jerusalem and is considered one of the most important places, okay, important pieces of property on the planet. It is considered sacred to the Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Mount Moriah is located on the Jewish Temple Mount as well as the Dome uh, Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqasa Mosque. The earliest mention of Mount Moriah in the Bible is found in Genesis 22. Later in Israel's history, King David selected this location as a site to build a temple for the Lord, although he didn't do it there. He didn't build it there himself. He sent it down to his son and he made it happen. After a 70-year exile, the Jewish people began to return and rebuilt the temple on the same location. This was the temple Jesus would have experienced uh, during his earthly ministry, the early church in Jerusalem also noted that this temple noted this temple often used in the courts as an area for Christian worship before the persecution by the Jews in Jerusalem. And then this is something really unique. In 70 A.D., the Roman army destroyed the temple once again, leaving only the western wall, the location often shown today on television, where devout Jews often offered prayers. So today we're talking about this Mount Moriah, and it's the mountain of obedience. You're like, oh, geez, I have to come in here and talk about being obedient. If you have kids, you know how this can go sometimes. Why don't you just listen? Did you ever do that? All right? Some of you guys, your kids are even older now. You're like, why don't you just listen still? Okay? And it's, you should know better by now. But here's the thing. It's hard sometimes and probably most times to be obedient. Parents, don't say amen too many times if your kids are right beside you. Okay? It could make for a bad day. Um, but what I'd like to do for you guys first is just give you a little bit of background about Abraham and how, uh, and how and what led to his climb of Mount Moriah. So go with me. You guys like stories? Anybody like stories? I love stories, okay? And Scripture is chocked full of interesting stories, sometimes super interesting stories that just in some ways don't make sense to us today. Uh, but it's still the Word of God and we value all of it. Okay, so a little bit of background. We see Abraham step onto the scene in a major way back in Genesis 12, all right? And you can kind of, if you want, if you have your Bibles, you can thumb through there, but, or if not, just get into it later, it's fine. What happens in chapter 12 is God's initial call for Abraham, um, and what this looked like was a challenge for him to leave his home, his family, and everything, everything to follow after God's plan for life, to be a great nation that would bless future generations, at this time, he was 75 years old. Crazy, right? 75 years old. And his name at the time was Abram. Now, you most, you know, most associate him as Abraham, right? That's who we, Father Abraham had many. Come on, I can't do this alone, guys. This is really hard. Okay, I just sang in public. It's hard enough to speak in public, but to sing in public? I'm just kidding. All right, but you know, mostly it's Father Abraham. Um, but at this time, his name was Abram. And he had a wife, and her name was Sarai. You can say it like that. Does it sound like she's a samurai warrior? You ever, you ever watch those old movies? Those are fun, aren't they? Where it, the, the English is dubbed over, and you're just like, 
That's not what they're saying, okay? Then um, his wife was Sarai, all right? Then we see in chapter 15, Abram is reminded of his promise, that promise that God gave him, the promise, and God shows just how big this promise would be. Scripture talks about that he would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky, stars in the sky. When we get in the mountains, what happens? You get to see everything, don't you? The stars and the skies, and you get to see how vast and how big. In verse 6, Abram believed, and it was credit to him to be righteousness, someone who was in right standing, someone who got it right with God, and he was credited with that at this point in time. So then we move to chapter, chapter 16. Sarai herself struggles with not having any children. She's like, I'm getting older here. The clock is ticking. Okay, a lot of times you hear that from friends and things like that, or as they're approaching, you know, sometimes maybe their 40s or something like that. They're like, okay, um, the clock's ticking here. Are we going to get things moving kind of thing? You've had those very awkward, if you're a guy, conversations, right? You know what I'm talking about. Well, imagine Sarah in her 70s. Do you think that's an awkward conversation? I think so. Imagine talking to your grandma and be like, you know, your grandfather and I were thinking about, you know, starting things up again. And all of a sudden, barf bags fall from the ceiling. It's like, I mean, okay, you see what I'm saying? And I have nothing against people that are seasoned is what I call because nobody's old. Seasoned. Okay, nothing at all. I love them. Can I get some love, right? We spend time together. But can you imagine the awkwardness of that conversation? <sighs> struggles real. So she struggles with this, this understanding that I, I have not conceived a child of my own. Abram at this point was 86 years old. She would have been 76. In chapter 17, we pick up with Abram being 13 years older, now 99 years of old. Wow, okay? 99 years. And as we read in verses 1 through 7, there's a change that takes place that I mentioned before in their names. You see it like this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant. Um, between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, okay? For your name will be Abraham, which meant father of many. He changed his name. He changed his destiny. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, and for the generations to come, to be your God and to be the God of your, descent, of your descendants after you. But, you ever had a conversation, somebody's talked to you, let me tell you about this amazing thing that's coming out, this great new product that's going to revolutionize your life, and they give you the whole spiel. Remember the ShamWow guy? Remember that? Billy Mayhew, ShamWow! Remember that whole thing? I couldn't help but spit on that, okay? But, remember, remember but, but if you act now for a low cost of $799 for easy installments, okay, here's the big but in this situation. But this changed the situation because there was some collateral on Adam's, I mean, excuse me, on Abraham's part. And all the generations to follow, the common practice, and this might make you cringe, of circumcision was symbolized at this point that these men were set apart for God and his purposes and that they belonged to him. Like, I come to church for the first time ever, and they're talking about circumcision. Okay, just bear with me. It's going to get better, all right? It'll get better. So then we fast forward 
through some more chapters in Genesis, and we see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet another time that Abraham failed. He lied. He failed to trust God as he lied about Sarah being his wife. And then chapter 21, with God's extension of grace towards Abraham and Sarah, she gives birth to a child. Her promise becomes reality. She gives birth to a child. Abraham was a young age of 100, and she was just a little bustling, happy person at 90. And they gave birth to their promise. See, God was good to them. God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah. He gave them a son whose name literally meant he laughs because joy was restored to the house. You could stop there and go home, and that's an amazing story. But here's the thing. We're talking about mountains. This didn't happen on a mountain peak. This didn't happen on the face of a mountain. That happened in the low-lying areas of life. Because remember, only 6% is that far up in the air, right? Only 6%. God was bringing them to a place, to a mountain, to a challenge, right? To a place of testing, the testing of their faith, the testing of their obedience. Genesis 22, 1 through 19, we see this. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can see it before you because it's a pretty long portion of Scripture. But this is the, the beginning, and you'll hear more about it in just a moment as we break down the Scripture. The beginning of the testing the testing of their faith, the testing of their obedience, the testing of everything for Abraham and Sarah. And there's some things in this scripture that jump out that are amazing that you'll hear about in just a few moments. But I want you to take time today when you go home and read this because it's important for you to understand. So there's a couple things that I want to share with you from here that I'll highlight and I'll go back and basically read it anyways so that you get more. When you're on the mountain, you'll understand this. There will be testing. When you're on the mountain, there will be testing. You read in, in the first uh, verse there, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Can you imagine that feeling? Can you imagine the size of that test right there? How many guys love your kids? You should all raise your hands now. Okay. I can't imagine this. And again, this is one of those things that you see in the Old Testament that's just kind of weird, right? Anybody with me? You're like, God, what? Bear with me. I can't imagine the feeling that they had. They waited all those years for their promise to be realized. And then one moment, God says, hey, you know that promise I gave you? I'm going to show you a place that I want you to go, and I want you to, you to take away that promise yourself. I want you to, to get rid of my promise in your life. I can't imagine the feeling that they felt. I can't imagine what they were going through in this moment when God was saying, hey, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to test your faith. Test your faith. Now, I don't know how any of you guys feel about tests, but I never did that well on tests in school, like literal tests. Did anybody else with me on that? It just, I don't know what it was. If it was that anxiety stuff, if it was, you know, maybe didn't study enough, that which was probably B. Um, uh, I don't know what it was, right? But one thing that was fun for me was a, the driving test, right? The driving test. What I want to do first is tell you about this. I was a youth pastor for probably about eight years, I think it was, altogether. 
And one of the joys that I had as being a youth pastor was the opportunity sometimes to help them learn to drive. That'll renew your faith right there, okay? <laughs> you do it in a church parking lot with cones, okay? Just note to self, all right? But I used to have the privilege of sometimes helping them to learn to drive or parallel park or whatever. But then I also had the privilege to hear the, the stories of when they would come back from their driving test. Some once, some twice, most three times or more, okay? And I remember this one individual in particular. Rob, you know exactly what I'm talking about here when it comes to students and trying to help them get their driver's license, which some of them should not. Can I get some amens, okay? But I remember this one, this one student in particular. This poor guy. I felt so bad for him. He's like, I can't get it down. I can't figure it out. He came back literally four times. On the fourth time, he finally got his license, okay? Now, my driving test, remember where I grew up, Virginia, it's kind of like West Virginia in some ways. You know, some things kind of slip through the cracks a little bit, right? Anybody with me on here? You know, no? Okay, I've had a great experience. Um, but I remember, I'm not going to say his name because we do podcasts and it goes out into the air and you never know where it's going to happen. But my driving instructor, you'll know who he is, Marie. My driving instructor, um, we, we were getting ready for my driving test. It was the big day, okay? Literally the day after I turned 16. Okay, the day after I turned 16, and we're getting ready for my driving test. And down in Culpeper, we had these amazing driver's ed vehicles called Chevrolet Citations. Anybody remember those? Wow, those were special, okay? And the cool thing about these Chevrolet Citations is that they had uh, two sets of brakes. Do you remember that? Okay, two sets of brakes. So whenever you had a driving partner, this was fun, okay, because you drive around the inside park and all that. And uh, whenever I was in there with them, uh, they'd be driving, and there was just one girl in particular. She loved me. She loved me, especially after that, because we'd drive around, and I'd slam on the brakes as I'm on the passenger side, and she's like, you know, like that into the steering wheel, and the, the towers come, what are you doing down there? And I'm, I'm just pointing, right? So the day, the big day, the day after I turned 16, and uh, we start up at the top of the parking lot at the high school there in Culpeper. And um, I'm telling the, the, the instructor, I'm just like, the car is acting a little funny. Something's kind of weird about that. I don't know what's got, you know what I think it is? I'm popping the hood, you know, and I'm looking under there. And I'm like, you know, I said, I think the alternator's bad, you know. So we shut the hood and, and begin to take off. And it was just dying out, right? We go from the top of the parking lot down to the lower parking lot. And I said, it's not going to make it. I don't know what's wrong with it. He said, do you know how to drive? I said, yeah, absolutely. He's like, uh, have, you, have you driven a lot? Have you done a lot? I said, yeah, all the time. He said, all right, you're good. Two weeks later, we're slamming to the back of a friend with my car and get into an accident. <laughs> Should have failed that test, okay? But the thing is in life, there's tests. Sometimes you pass it and you end up failing. But there's tests in life, some bigger, some smaller, we all have them. And what's hard about a test is sometimes we get through it and we really shouldn't have. Or sometimes we really need God's help to get us through it. And when you think about Abraham and Sarah at this point, you know, you think about them on this mountain at this point. And this is a tremendous test, a humongous test that they're going through. But there's a decision that has to be made them in the midst of this test and their decision of obedience will determine the outcome of this test second thing when you're on the mountain be willing to give your all 
Verse 6, Abraham took the word, excuse me, the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, to his father, Abraham, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here. He's, he's saying, um, things aren't, um, this is scary. Um, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out of his hand and took the knife. Oh, yes, you carry these in West Virginia, too. Ready to slay his son. Imagine that feeling that he was in right there. Can you imagine that feeling that was running through his mind, through his heart? He was willing to give everything to what God said. I can't imagine. Part of it is that he knew that God would provide one way or another. He had the faith. He had the understanding that if God did it before, he can do it again. So he, out of obedience on this mount of Moriah, he laid his son on that altar, on that place. See, that's symbolic as well uh, as now as we, we accept it, the sacrificial lamb of Christ. See, back in Old Testament times, something had to die so that something could be forgiven. Okay, and that's what you see here, that there was a lamb, a spotless lamb that would die in place of something else so that we could have forgiveness until the once and for all sacrifice came, Jesus Christ. So this was, this was you know, a pivotal moment in Abraham's life when he's like, I'm willing to give everything, to lay it all on the altar. I can't imagine the feeling that he had. I can't imagine what went through his mind. But here he was at that place, knife raised in the air, ready to slay his son. Remember, this is Old Testament. It's a little different, but it still applies to today. And then we see this point here. When you're on the mountain, the third thing, God will provide what's needed. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You hear that kind of terminology again later. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. God will provide what you need when you need it, if you're obedient. If you're obedient. This was an all-in moment for, for Abraham when he was willing to give everything. But God provided everything that he needed. Every single thing that he needed. I think about a, a story that was told by my former pastor where I served um, of when he and his wife were newlyweds newlyweds, just gotten married, and they went into ministry not having anything financially, nothing, okay? Uh, literally, hardly anything whatsoever. And uh, there was one night that they, they had no food left in their home, nothing at all, nothing. And um, they went, uh, and, and they were talking to each other, and they were praying, and they said, hey, you remember that story? And uh, they said, remember that story um, about when your mom and dad, you know, set the table 
Remember that story about when they set the table because they didn't have food either when they were starting ministry and they were, you know, giving everything to God and trusting him and being obedient? Do you remember that story when they set the table and people brought food? Do you remember that story? We should do that too. So they set their table. They put the plates out. They put the glasses. They put the, you know, all of the utensils and everything on the table. They said, you know what? Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk and let's just trust God. They came back from their walk to a, a, a literally a, a filled porch with all kinds of food. All kinds of food because they had faith, they believed, and they were obedient. See, that was something that was passed down as well. Did you see that? Did you notice that in the story about the generation before set the table? They set the table. And they believed that God would provide. So therefore, it made it easier for the generation that followed to set the table that God would provide. It makes you think about your life. Think about your life and that you're the beginning of something great. You may be the second generation, but you may be just the beginning of something great. Of a, a lineage, right? A lineage, a legacy, of obedience to God, trusting and knowing that he's going to take care of you. You're the beginning of something great. I had a wonderful life growing up. I really did. Best mom in the world. Dad, he was pretty awesome too. But the thing is, Karen and I had to make up our minds on some things to start over, you know, to do some things different because we had to come to that point as Joshua, as for me and my house, which means her, I, everything in it, we're going to serve God. We're going to be obedient to him and do what it takes. And you know what we see in our kids now? The fruit of a decision of obedience to believe that God can do anything he wants with our lives. That's why we're here today. That's why we're serving at the foundry and able to love you guys like we do. This faith, like James 1, 1 through 8, produces perseverance. This faith, this story that he gives you is something you keep in your pocket that you pull out and you look at as a reminder the next time things get tough that you'll be obedient. Be obedient in your faith because there's people counting on you. The last thing I want to tell you about today is this. When you're on the mountain, God will come through on his promises. God will come through on his promises. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And, though your, and, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba, this place where God was beginning his promise, Beersheba. Because you obey. Nothing will be held back. This isn't some, you know, your best life now prosperity message. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this. If you're obedient to God, he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. If you're obedient to God, he'll give you everything that you need to make it in this life and more. If you're obedient to God, you'll see change in your family. If you're obedient to God, you'll see change in your workplace. If you're obedient to God, you'll see change in your grades. You'll see change in finance. You'll see change in all kinds of things. But he's looking for your obedience on the front end. He's looking for you to climb that mountain, to get to that place 
away from everything else, in agreement with him, right? Remember, it's only 6% of the time anyways. You're not going to be there forever. you got to remember that. It's just a mountain experience. It's not going to last forever. But you got to learn the test and the process through obedience. It's easier to say yes on the front end than it is to work hard to make it happen on the back end. It's about obedience. So what I want us to do is we're going to close um, with a word of prayer. Uh, these guys are going to just play some music from the back because what we like to do is at the end of our service is if you need prayer, if you want to have a conversation, because that's what prayer is as well with us, but also with God, we want to challenge you to that. We want to agree with you on things. Maybe you've got some things that you need prayer for. We want to pray with you for them um, because we believe there's power in that. When two or more agree on any one thing, God shows up and he does something. You know, if your body's hurting and you need healing, we pray for you. Believe in that. If your finances, if your family, whatever, we want to pray with you and agree. But there's also the Connection Center over there as well where you can have some conversations with some more folks from our church family that would be more than happy to be with you. But I want you just to take, again, another survey of your life at the conclusion of the service as they play some music. Just, just a, a small moment, just to look in, look inside and say, God, is there any way that I have lacked obedience with you. God, am I still on this mountain? Am I still on this mountain of obedience? Am I still here trying to learn the lesson? Am I still in this place where I was five years ago? Am I at the place you want me to be? Am I living in your promises? Am I everything that you've called me to be? Have I done my part? Has there been a serious change in my life? Because here's the thing. When your name changes, it changes future generations. Literally generations, not just a generation, generations. If that change hasn't happened to you, just take a moment to solidify that. We'll agree with you on it, and then we'll journey with you in the process. That's what we do. That's what family does together. So again, I just want to close in prayer, and we have folks that will be here to, to pray with you if you'd like. No problem whatsoever. Um, if you want to, to go to the Connection Center, do that as well. If you want to grab some more coffee and spend some t time together, great. It's wonderful. But if you need anything, let us know. That's key. Okay? That's key. So let's pray. And as we do that, just have a conversation with God first. And if you need us, we're here for you to pray with you as well. Okay? Literally just in this area. This is what churches can traditionally call an altar, but this is the front of the room. All right? And as people leave through the back, you can just slide up and I can pray with you or, again, go to the Connection Center. But let's just believe that things will change for you today. Let's believe. Let's have faith that God will come through on his promises. Believe, let's have faith that he'll do what he says he wants to do, that he has your life in his hands. So God, today, that's what we do. Lord, it's one of the hardest things we can do, Lord, to literally clean the slate. Not necessarily us cleaning it, but allowing you to clean it, Lord. For us giving up control long enough for you to come in and really make things the way they should be, Lord. I think about that you know, with Kara and the kids, when they clean the room, Lord, but then when she cleans the room, it's totally different. God, with our lives, when we, when we do the cleaning, Lord, it's not to your specs. Because, God, you don't want things thrown into the nooks of crannies of our lives underneath the bed and in the closet, and then it looks clean. No, God, you want everything. You want it all. And what's hard for us, God, is to give everything up to you. So, God, what we do this morning is we climb the mountain. We climb the mountain, Moriah, and we say, God, 
this moment I subject myself to the test. I say, look at me, and if there's anything in me that separates me from you, take it from me, I pray. If there's anything in me, God, that holds me back from the life that you've called me to, just wipe it away. I give you permission. I give you this opportunity because I want to learn the lesson and I want to be obedient and move on. God, we thank you and we love you. And we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. God, I thank you for you giving us the opportunity to know you early in the service and us to have the opportunity now to live, a li live our lives that will be obedient to you as well. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. And we look forward to what you're going to do in the future with hope and anticipation. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.